everything was going along so great. She was laughing. I was funny. I kept saying to myself, keep it up. Don't blow it. You're doing great. <laughs> it's all in your head. All she knows is she had a good time. I think you should call her. I can't call her now. It's too soon. I'm planning a Wednesday call. Oh. Why? I love it when guys call me the next day. Of course you do, but you're imagining a guy you like, not a guy who goes, oh, no, I don't drink coffee late at night. <laughs> if I call her now, she's going to think I'm too needy. Women don't want to see need. They want to take charge guy, a colonel, a kaiser, a czar. All she'll think is that you like her. That's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. She wants you to like her. Yes, she wants me to like her if she likes me, but she doesn't like me. I don't know what your parents did to you. Hey, it's Ben Bailey Smith here. And Sasha Bates. And this, of course, is the pod where we pick the brains of TV's most intriguing fictional characters. Stick them in therapy. Sasha, tell us about the clip at the top. That was George Costanza after he's been on a date where his date asked him up for coffee and he then said, oh no, it'll stop me from sleeping and then spent the rest of the the few days uh, spiralling out of control with how stupid he could have been for not understanding that coffee didn't actually mean coffee. So it is, of course, Seinfeld's a hugely influential comedy. It began back in 1989, can you believe? Mm. And yeah, around for nine seasons. The finale, which was recorded 25 years ago, was watched by an incredible 80 million God, people. God, if anything's topped that since. I know, it's hard to believe nowadays, isn't it? All at one go as well, back back then it would have been. Yeah. Um, and there was even those huge screens, they're, they're called jumbotrons, I think. And oh, they, the they big were, screens in Times Square. Yeah, they put them up so that people could like Real communally, yeah, communally watch that finale. I wonder how many people got robbed during that 23 minutes. <laughs> 80 million. Million people glued to the screen. Yeah. What a show, though. I know. I mean, kind of the archetype for the the modern kind of carefree comedy, mm. I guess. Oh, I used to just love it. It was a highlight of my week, really. And I think that, you know, unlike a lot of the shows we've looked at, there's no mobsters or millionaires or yeah. none of the major characters die. There's no mystery to solve. It's, it's just... the odd two-parter, but no sort of story, no, really, that n- runs No, no through. sort of through line. It's just sort of people like us coping with the mundanity of, of life and the irritations of doing your laundry and people being <laughs> annoying and just sort of having to exist alongside each other. Yeah, a lot of social faux pas. Yeah. It is kind of phenomenal. It is. How consistently funny it is. Every single one is hilarious. And and, and the setups, the A story, the B story, involving all four of them to to different extents. It's like a master's in comic writing, Mm. you know? Mm. How to keep things light but give it weight, how to make things exciting, and how to be economic. Because there's no episode that's longer than 20 to 22, 23 minutes. I suppose I should say, uh, in in our last show, we did promise to give everyone our top George Costanza episodes across all series of Seinfeld. And, and true to our word, we will be either making reference to or playing clips from all of those throughout this podcast. Um, and we've put a, a sort of top 10 list in the show notes of this episode and and I'm sure you'll have differing opinions, but there, there, I reckon there's going to be four or five in there that you just cannot disagree with. Mm-hmm. It's absolute George classics. So coming up, we're going to find out what an anxious ruminator is. We're going to find out what happens when self-loathing is allowed to run free and how stationary can kill you. 
And we're not talking paper cuts here, all right? So welcome to Shrink the Box. Oh, this is this is actually nice, Sasha. It's not like setting up the wire or something. <laughs> You need to do a massive recap here. All, all you need to know, really, Seinfeld is set in Manhattan. And we're focused on four friends. Jerry, who's Jerry Seinfeld. He's a stand-up comedian like he's in real life. He's not as successful, I would say, as he is in, no, in real life no, at the time. At the he's still like, Yeah, he's still on the grind. George Costanza, his, his best friend from school, Jason Alexander. His ex-girlfriend, which a lot of people forget, I think, as the series goes on, Elaine uh, Bennis, who's played by played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, brilliantly. And um, his crazy neighbour, Cosmo Kramer, um, always referred to as Kramer, really, never Cosmo, played by Michael Richards. Sash, tell us a bit about this week's client. Well, when we first meet George, he is 31, going on 80. Yeah, I mean, he looks and dresses like a, a, a middle-aged man, right? And has the mindset of somebody who's very world-weary and yeah. has been on, been on this earth too long, really. He grew up and went to school in uh, Brooklyn, uh, New York, which is where he met Jerry, his best friend. It's also where he was famously tormented by a gym teacher who would deliberately mispronounce his last name as Constantia. <laughs> and George holds a grudge about this. But, but what I think is interesting is the person who really can't stand George is George himself sure. and at one point he says the greatest accomplishment of his life is having got a high score on a Frogger video game in a pizza parlour um, <laughs> he's never not, got any better than that no he's not a man with a great view of himself or or society around him really yeah and his, his parents are very over overwhelming mm. and still very much in his life I'm sure we'll dig into that I just wanted to say how brilliant the casting is of his parents oh, yeah because they're all the same size, all three of them. <laughs> they're, they're all tiny. Yeah. They all look about 5'2". George's mum just looks like a female George. Mm. And his dad, all three actors have a brilliant way of ramping up the volume in, in their voices. His dad is, is, is Jerry Stiller, who, I, I, you know, oh, rest in peace. Unbelievably good comic actor yeah. Yeah. And, and comedian. And, of course, the father of another very funny small man in Ben Stiller. Oh, is he yeah. Ben Stiller's dad? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it's just funny bones throughout this uh, this series. There's, there's so many guest stars in, in, in Seinfeld are, are actually sort of kind of comic geniuses in their own right. They absolutely and, and, are. And I Jerry mean, Stiller definitely a, is. Yeah, what a, um, a cast list. I do take mm. issue with one thing you've just said. What's though. that? Oh, about small people. Yes. 5'2 is not small. You know, my wife is 5'2 <laughs> and she'll be like... Um, you know, snapping her her iPhone in half. Yes. To this. Well, me She'll too. Like, Prince was five two. Yes. Prince was five two, and he could dunk. <laughs> sure, sorry. All right. So listen, George has a very let's say to be kind a particular way of viewing the world. You know, what, what do you think is happening on, on, under that? Uh, that shiny bonce. The, wo <laughs> the word that I just couldn't get out of my mind when it comes to George is neurotic. Mm. And it's a word we often bandy about words in, in kind of real life that means something slightly differently therapeutically. So I thought what I would do is I would go and actually look up what the definition of, of neurotic is. And it said that, just to remind myself, it said it was a tendency towards negative emotions, including anxiety, chronic worrying, self-consciousness, self-doubt, interpreting neutral situations as threatening, overreacting to perceived threats, viewing minor problems as overwhelming, fear, 
guilt over minor things, anger, irritability, frustration, complaining, <laughs> moody, jealous, and envious. And it's like in the character description yeah. for the actor going to audition for George Costanza. It's Absolutely. Just all of that I know. He just embodies. It's like they went through that list themselves and thought, okay, right, here we go. Let's give him a situation that he can manifest all of these mm traits and I mean he really does just find life so disappointing he's constantly feeling like he's done wrong or the world's done wrong and he, he imagines the worst in every situation I mean the very first time we meet him he's in the coffee shop panicking that the waitress will give him the wrong coffee because she hasn't got the normal label on the decaf and he's worrying that he'll get the, the calf, not the decaf. And he, he sort of spirals up from worrying about something so small to there's a situation later in the in the series where he says, I might never have sex again. I can't imagine any circumstances under which that could occur. Um, <laughs> and another time he says, oh, what's the difference? We'll all be dead soon. I mean, it's like he worries from like coffee to dying and everything in between. And this is sort of uh, an early example of catastrophizing that coffee mm. thing the first time we we see him as you say he he is doing some relatively mild catastrophizing he's yeah. he's worrying about something and correct me if i'm wrong here in, in you know in, in in talking about catastrophizing but he's he's worrying about something terrible that hasn't actually happened yet mm. and may may not happen at all. That's just what catastrophizing is. It's going from some tiny little thing, missing out all the millions of things that would have to happen in between and going straight to, oh, well, we'll all be dead soon anyway. Oh, I'll, ne <laughs> I'll never have sex again. Yeah. It's just there's going to the worst case scenario immediately. I can't see a, a, a situation wherein that would possibly happen. That's what he says. He literally yes. is saying, there's no way anything good can ever happen to yeah. me yeah. because this is this is my script, you know. This yeah. is this is who George is. And, and you can see him snowballing all the time. There's, there's an episode where a guy makes a joke at his expense in a meeting and he's really pissed off that he never said anything. So he engineers a rematch mm. in order to say the thing that he didn't get to say. It's absolutely ridiculous. Take a little listen to that now. Help yourself to some shrimp. I brought it up for everybody. Let's see how many I can fit in my mouth. <laughs> you know, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Riley? <laughs> well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. <laughs> What's the difference? You're their all-time bestseller. <laughs> yeah? Well, I had sex with your wife. His wife is in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the pregnant pause is so good there. Uh, that was from the uh, the comeback season eight, episode thirteen of Seinfeld, starring Jason Alexander as George, uh, Joel Polis as Riley, and Charles Carlenberg as Fred. Uh, it was written by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, um, Greg Cavett, and Andy Robin, directed by D. Owen Trainer. We'll give you the full credits for all the clips used at the end of this show. Um, now, he works himself into a frenzy so regularly. What is behind this? Why? Why would you bother? It seems so exhausting. 
He can't seem to just accept anything without micro-analysing it to within an inch of his life. I mean, particularly in regard to women, I think. Mm. He will go on a date and then he will go through everything he said, everything he did, everything she said, everything she did to kind of try and work out at what point it went wrong. There's, there's, one, there's one episode where a bit of floss falls out of his pocket and he goes on and on and on about this piece of floss as though the piece of floss falling out of his pocket will be the make or break reason as to why she wants to go out with him or whether he will live a happy, fulfilled life. He's sort of like the, the literal embodiment of can't see the wood for the trees because he just gets fixated on tiny little things and then sort of anxiously ruminates over and over and over about what might it all mean. Mm. And so I suppose it's no surprise he's a hypochondriac as well, right? Yeah, I mean, the tiniest little sniffle, he thinks something's awful <laughs> going on. Even even when he gets an earworm, he goes to see Les Mis and gets the song stuck in his head. And Jerry says, I mean, goodness knows why Jerry winds him up like this, but he says, oh, somebody went mad from that. And so George immediately thinks he's going <laughs> mad. And I mean, he has a panic attack and he ends up thinking he's having a heart attack. Everything just gets amplified into it being the end of the world. Mm. I think he's he's very focused on externals. Like mm. something will save him, and 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 so it will never be him. But something external will come, like a, a beautiful woman, the perfect job. Mm. Something will come along from outside that will make his world better, and everything will be okay. Uh, and of course, because he's not really doing anything about himself to make that happen, mm. it doesn't happen, and he fulfills his prophecy about him being a loser or you know being this problematic person or what is all of that about well do you know what i don't think it's that dissimilar from tanya mcquad from white lotus who we talked mm. about a few weeks ago in that she's got nothing inside to help her deal with reality so she lives in a sort of fantasy bubble and george does as well he's like if i could just get the world to conform to being perfectly flawless where none of my girlfriends have a, have a nose which is too big which is what happens in one episode and um I'm never going to fall out with my boss because he thinks I'm brilliant at everything I do. But instead, he just gets constantly frustrated and angry because the world won't give him this fantasy life that that he thinks, well, I don't have to do any work. And he, he really stands out, doesn't he, George? Because amongst the other three friends, you've got you've got you've got Jerry, who is very sort of he's very steady and he's very smart. Mm. So he's and he has empathy so he can sort of get by Elaine, similarly, she's she's a bit of a mess, but she's very self-aware. She's very she she knows exactly who she mm. is and what her shortcomings are and how to make the most of them. And Kramer is insane, but very self-confident. He's mm. he's got absolute confidence in himself. Yeah. Even if he's doing completely the wrong thing, yeah. he has all belief that he's getting it right and he's a great guy yeah. you know for better or for worse and George just doesn't have any of those tools no he he believes that he's always getting it wrong and like with Tanya from White Lotus it all stems from having no sense of self from never having been told that he is worthwhile and it means that he swings from feeling like oh I'm useless I'm to blame to blaming the world and saying you're useless you're to blame yeah. and it makes him very again more neurotic traits he's very cynical he's very pessimistic and all of those things, all neuroticism really is a defence against the unbearable feelings of anxiety because if you allow yourself to hope, you risk being disappointed. So if you are cynical about everything, it's always all going to go to shit anyway, then in a way you can tell yourself, oh, look how clever I am, I know how it's going to go and you don't ever have to risk 
hoping that it'll be different because you haven't got the capacity. He doesn't have the capacity to to manage the feelings around it not going that way. So it's easier just to say, well, it's never going to happen and be pessimistic and, and cynical because um, then he doesn't have to be hurt. And that's a, it, it creates a really difficult lifestyle for him. Like yeah. going out into the world with mm. those attitudes, mm. you know, and with those character traits, you know, being a, a neurotic cynical pessimistic hypochondriac yeah <laughs> <laughs> who catastrophizes about everything you're going to struggle out there in the world now that there's a phrase um that 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 you have uh, emotional dysregulation that i've i've never heard before can can, can you talk a bit about that and where george fits in so catherine kaywood in happy valley who we looked at a couple of weeks ago went through a lot of really difficult scenarios her daughter killed herself. Her colleague, Kirsten, who was a sort of surrogate daughter, she was murdered. And Catherine managed to stay quite calm throughout most of these things because she had a really solid sense of self. She had lots of resources. And so really big stressors didn't push her over into dysregulation. George, on the other hand, he has tiny little stressors like not being able to get ketchup out of a bottle or worrying that he's going to be given caffeinated coffee, not decaf. And he spirals. He goes mm. off into huge, unregulated rage or panic. How you manage a stressor is all to do with kind of like your own ability to, to stay calm. And he just cannot stay calm. Can't do it. And again, it comes from not having a solid sense of self. He's never been taught to manage those emotions. And what should happen is that a parent with an infant, they learn, they sort of digest those overwhelming emotions for a child and then they hand them back to them in a way that that they can manage mm. but if that's never happened and I, in fact I think with George's parents the opposite has happened not only have they not helped him manage his own but they've taken their own and put them in projected them into him I was so. just going to say there's a lot of mirroring going on because whenever you meet one or both of them mm. there's very similar mm. patterns of behaviour that go on and, and one of them which is always funny is the way they go from zero to a hundred yeah. you know I was just re-watching the contest my favourite ever episode and um, George goes to visit his mum for like a third time in a row, but only because there's an attractive nurse and attractive patient doing a sponge bath in the bed next door. And she's so like, oh, it's so nice for you to come again, Georgie. You didn't need to do this. Maybe you could pick me up a sandwich, mm. you know? And because he's come in perfect timing for the sponge bath, he's like, I'll do it later. And she's just like, I don't even know why you come here. Yeah, It hurts me that you're here, she says. Yeah, You know? And that like escalation if you grew up with that yeah and that, we see him do it every day yeah but I mean he also the other thing that I think is really interesting is that they all are a product of the society it's not just like the family that is showing him it's okay to just think about yourself but this is coming out of the 80s which was the whole decade of greed is good and look right, out for yeah, number one and Thatcher yeah. saying there's no such thing as society yeah. and what we see I think in the Seinfeld cast is the conclusion the logical conclusion of that sort of attitude run riot it's okay to only think of yourself and what you get you get four sort of big babies who just <laughs> prioritize themselves all the time mm. so it's not just what his family have have failed to do it's also what society i think have told him it's okay to do it's you know you worry about you and don't do anything for anybody else and he takes that to the nth degree because whilst worrying about himself, he 
gets himself you can see it he's he's gets himself in 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 a state and he overthinks very small things as if that's the only way he can solve a problem he's got he's got to like analyze it to a point where it just stops becoming normal like the sh- the shrimp yeah. situation oh there's but no I, spontaneity at all i mean no, no. another really good example of that is when he's trying to pluck up the courage to ask somebody out and he has to plan it in every little detail so he plans when he, when he's going to call and then he plans that he's going to eat an apple whilst he does it because <laughs> chewing make it will make him sound casual and then if he doesn't he has to get the question in early because he can't have too long to build up to it and then if he doesn't get an enthusiastic high then in the whole things you know called he calls a halt to it all so even just like ringing somebody up and saying do you want to go out he micromanages it in such tiny detail and is that because of a, a fear of fail, failure or? because he can't manage his emotions i think he's worried that he will fly off the handle or that he will just be so crushed by rejection so it's almost like he's kind of just controlling the situation so that he can almost then try and control what she says back to him mm. And there's there's one episode where George does the opposite of what he'd normally do in a sort of it's almost like a desperate bid to, to just do anything to make himself feel like he's not mm. this mess of a person. And in doing the opposite, he actually does start to become really successful. Um, let's let's take a little listen to that now. Uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. <laughs> I'm Victoria, hi. <laughs> so many of the best episodes uh where george's normal modes of behavior are turned upside down and we we get to learn more about him when he's he's acting out of character either by choice or because he he just can't i mean there's episodes which we'll get onto where he can't have sex he can't lie takes a bet not to masturbate like what why can't he just be himself because he was told that his, himself isn't good enough. Just not good enough. From an early age, his parents would scream at him for getting things wrong. He wasn't allowed to make a mistake, which is what also part of the, the over-planning so that he doesn't keep making mistakes. But as a result, he ends up making more mistakes. So he's lost touch with his instincts. He thinks he can think his way through. And it's a mistake loads of people make. Mm. They think that if, oh, my brain is more intelligent than my body, so I will plan it. But actually, the instinctive sense is so much more kind of able to be spontaneous. And that's what people often relate to better. You mentioned before the the video game, the high score on the on the arcade game being the, the highlight of his life. Yeah. It's been downhill from there. You know, it's just a very funny gag. But it's also like, incredibly tragic because it makes you think like had had his parents showed or you know expressed any pride 
in other stuff that he was doing, you know, mm. maybe at school or just don't feel like that ever came. Yeah, and he's just sort of taken on board their messaging, which yeah. is that you're going to get it all wrong yeah, and you're, you're to blame. It's the best you're ever going to do. Gonna do. Five. <laughs> all right, well, after the break, we're still going to find out how um, stationary can be lethal when George loses it with his therapist as well and why George expects to be blamed for everything. So we will see you after these messages unless you're a Take Channel subscriber, in which case we'll see you back here faster than I can order an egg salad at Monk's Cafe. This show is supported by BetterHelp. Uh, now, sometimes you're carrying a weight on your shoulders, but you can't find the right way to open up about it and maybe offload a bit to others. If we keep things bottled up, it can really affect us in a bad way. And therapy is a safe and anonymous place to air whatever's been troubling you. And I, I know this personally. It always feels better just to speak your truth. It, it, honestly, you genuinely feel lighter. And the moan can tell you all about feeling light or heavy. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash shrink the box. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Oh, it's us again. Now, Sash, we've talked about George's insecurities, but we haven't mentioned that he can be pretty selfish. And he is so cheap. That time where he wants to bring Pepsi to a dinner party. I mean, <laughs> uh, in one episode, he chooses the cheapest envelope he can find, like a brand of envelopes for his um, wedding invitations. And uh, let, Let's ch check this out. So... She's dead. <laughs> yes. Huh. <laughs> Let me ask you, had she been exposed to any kind of inexpensive glue? <laughs> <laughs> Why? We found traces of a certain toxic adhesive commonly found in very low-priced envelopes. <laughs> Oh, she was sending out our wedding invitations. That's probably what did it. We were expecting about 200 people. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so he's essentially guilty of manslaughter. <laughs> through mean, cheapness. Yeah, through being such a cheap, cheap guy. And it, it's, it's brutal, but we don't hate him somehow but how 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to hear what you like about him. I think what I like about him is um, that you do get a little bit of a sense of the person he could have been. Occasionally when he does let himself hope that a woman's going to be interested, he get you get a little sort of sense of this sort of sweet little boy thinking, oh, maybe, but, you know, it doesn't happen very often. But why do you, why do you like him? I love him because he is... He is a part of me. I think uh-huh. there's a little George in all of us trying to get out and we f- we fight against it, mm. you know, a, a little bit. And we, we, we're, we're more in tune with ourselves. We're able to l- let ourselves go and, and look, look silly sometimes, you know, mm. and, and laugh at ourselves or whatever. Mm. But we, I think we all have a bit of George in us. And, you know, when I got into Curb Your Enthusiasm and started to learn more about Larry David, who before then was just a name I saw mm. at the start of Seinfeld. Every I never thought about it any deeper than that. And and I started realising that he wrote George as the sort of embodiment of him, this mm. guy with glasses, bald, you know, neurotic. George was Larry, mm. like, turned up to 11. And, you know, learning that and getting into, I don't know what season it was of Kirby Enthusiasm, but there was one DVD I bought for one season, I remember, the cover was Larry at the front of a massive crowd, you know, walking down an American street, just people walking along, uh, men and women, old, young, black, white, but they all had Larry David's face. <laughs> and the tagline said, deep down, you know, you're him. <laughs> and I just, I thought about that and I thought, oh my God, that's why I love Curb because it is, I spend every day not letting my inner mm. Larry out, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. When, you know, someone is an asshole, and you just think, well, I just, I'll talk about it later. You know, I'll get home yeah. and I'll tell my wife, oh my God, this guy was such an asshole. Yeah. You know, whereas Larry just says it. And then that made me sort of retrofit and go back thinking about Seinfeld. If, if, George is Larry and Larry is us, then we are George. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, he's so unfiltered in, yeah. in the sort of rage and the disappointment. And, mm. yeah, he doesn't uh, conform to the social niceties, really, of, of, of how we try and mask that with politeness. And, mm-hmm. uh, yes, no, it's all fine, really, when actually we want to be George screaming in, in fury. I mean, he screams in fury at completely the wrong people. I mean, he, he screams in fury at his boss and ends up with resigning and then having to like crawl back and try and get his job back. I mean, he even when when he does try and go into therapy, he even ends up screaming at his therapist because she doesn't like the script that he's asked her to read because he can't, again, he can't bear criticism. But that bit reminded me again of Tanya McQuad who asks a clairvoyant what her future is going to be like and then when the clairvoyant says oh it's not looking good she screams at her in fury and George is the same thing the therapist says you know it's not that funny and he's like this is what I'm paying you for you're the one that stinks <laughs> and he, he can't he doesn't want to know anything bad because he lives in a whole kind of mist of badness so he needs everybody to kind of tell him all the time that it's going to be okay yeah but I don't feel like he gives his parents both barrels in the same way I feel like most of the time you see him with his parents he physically shrinks Mm, and he looks like a child you know or sometimes he'd be wearing that ridiculous baseball cap yeah he definitely is infantilized by them and they tend to do all the screaming and he becomes very like okay you know, and I, I think it ends up with him 
blaming himself a little bit for I don't I don't know yeah. that he often turns the spotlight onto them. He blames himself for most things, and there's even an episode where well, it's a sort of convoluted story where he'd broken a favorite statue of his mum as a child, and she'd never forgiven him, and uh, then yeah. this statue turns up bizarrely and so he says to his mom oh my goodness I found the statue it then gets broken and he has to say oh actually the statue's broken and again it's like why are you blaming me you didn't even haven't had the statue for the last 30 years I thought I'd found found it it. but somehow he's still to blame he's always to blame Mm. and there's that episode that I mentioned before my my favourite ever uh, Seinfeld episodes season 4 episode 10 The Contest which begins with George he walks into the cafe and he says I was at my mum's my mother she caught, caught me. me caught you doing what you know <laughs> I was alone you mean uh-huh. she caught you where <laughs> I stopped by the house to drop the car off, and I went inside for a few minutes. Nobody was there. They're supposed to be working. My mother had a Glamour magazine. I started leaving through. Glamour? <laughs> so one thing led to another. So what did she do? First, she screams, George, what are you doing? My God! Then it looked like she was going to faint. She started clutching the wall, trying to hang on to it. I didn't know whether to try and keep her from falling or zip up. And so what happens is Jerry, Elaine, Kramer and George have a bet to see who can go the longest without wanking, basically. And it is just superb and surprising and uh, hilarious. Anyway, uh, uh, George's mum falls in in the shock of catching him. Uh, she obviously blames him, ends up in hospital, uh, and wants to send him to a psychiatrist yeah. for the for the problem. She's shamed um, him for everything he's uh, ever done. Absolutely, and and as funny as the episode is, it's also a great window, right, yeah. into what might be going on with him. Like, mm. it, it, it is is this constant shame the cause of his or the creation of the origin story of his low self esteem? Oh yeah, completely. I mean, she shames him for everything, and again, that'll show why he's so out of touch with his body and his feelings because. She makes him feel ashamed to even have a body or to have any instincts or or feelings. So it does go right from, you know, literally physical feelings to any emotional feeling that he's not really allowed to have. And the problem is if you kind of damp down your all the negative feelings, if you say, okay, feelings are too much for me, I can't cope, I've got no regulatory skills to cope with the pain and the anger and the sadness. So if you're suppressing, if you've learned to suppress all the negative feelings, like the anger and the pain and the sadness, you're also learning to suppress all the positive ones. So he can't actually feel happiness and joy and positivity and optimism. Most parents would used to say, then if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything mm. at all. Mm. Whereas George is totally opposite. He can't say anything nice, so he just says horrible things. Yeah. And and maybe that's a way that helps him self-soothe, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like blaming the world, blaming yeah. strangers, blaming yeah. other people's behaviour yeah. for, you know, his life going wrong. Yes, he can't bear to be blamed for anything else, so he has to project it outwards. So look, if there is a bit of George inside us all, how do we overcome this? Like, if George is still alive now, which I like to think he is, George Costanza the character, can he ever find contentment? Well, he doesn't seem to have any capacity to want to change. And I think I've said this before. It's got to start with you. You've You've got got to to want to change. But I think it's too terrifying for him. He finds comfort in in the rage Mm. (laughs) somehow. 
there's nine seasons. Some of them are like 22 episodes long, and he never changes. <laughs> and in fact, I think it just well, wouldn't be funny if he did. That's the well, no, no, that's the problem. So it's it's very hard to in, envisage. But even in the final episode, that one that was watched by so many people and is often, you know, said to be one of the best, one in the top five greatest TV moments ever. The whole series comes to a climax of them being put on trial for having been bystanders and not helping a fellow human, which again is that sort of logical conclusion of if you spend your whole life just mocking and looking for revenge and getting angry at everybody else, eventually it is going to catch up with you and people are going to say, well, you know, you don't... If you don't want to be part of this society, don't be part of this society. Mm. And it is something that I think a lot of people come to therapy to um, try and understand that balance between autonomy and being an individual and living amongst others and living in a society. And a lot of people do agonise over where that line between selfishness and being part of something. I guess what you're saying is George, really, he needs to seek out a shrink that challenges him because he's so pig-headed and stubborn he needs someone to get under his skin in a way that challenges him to challenge himself yeah but when she does the therapist he sees she does challenge him and he can't bear it with a spoon (laughs) you're going to be in a creative field you're going to have to learn how to deal with criticism how's this for criticism um you stink how do you like that criticism (laughs) You, you know what's funny to me That diploma up on the wall, that is my idea of comedy. You sitting here telling people what to do. I think you'd better go. Oh, I'm going, baby, I'm going. (laughs) And again, I think that's another sort of myth that people think, oh, I go into therapy to have a a therapist say, oh, no, you're all right, really, and, you know, pat you on the head and give you lots of sympathy and say, oh, yeah, no, the world is as horrible as you said, and poor you, which I think is what George wants. But, of course, it's not about that. It's about having a mirror held up to what's your part in Mm. this. And she's basically saying that, well, what are you bringing to it? And he flies off into a fury. It's like, no, 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 you're meant to bolster me up. And when she doesn't, he storms out. So yes, of course, that therapist could have helped him if he was able it has to... to start with him. Yeah. So, you know, if your inner George is, is taking over, guys, it has to begin with you and your desire to change. So it starts with you guys. Thank you for listening, as, as always. And, and and thank you for your emails. Keep sending in your character suggestions and your, your, own, uh, your own theories on these behavioural patterns that we, we deep dive into every week. Um, here's one of my faves um, this time around. It's from uh, Michelle Barchowski. Um, she says, hello, uh, it's Michelle from Somerville, Massachusetts here. I think we were voted the hippest town in America a few years ago. Ooh. She says, I still don't see it. I'd definitely like to visit if that's the case. But um, she says, it, it may explain why it's so expensive to live here. Yeah, I know how that goes, Michelle. We're about a mile as the crow flies from Boston. Just found your show and love it. I started with Omar, one of my all-time favourite characters. It'd be interesting to do actors who have played different roles and how they play upon or divert altogether from previous characters. Like, I just finished Your Honour, she says, with Brian Cranston, who plays Judge Michael Desiato. And now that I think about it, Michael K. Williams played a fascinating character on Boardwalk Empire named Chalky White. Yes, he did. Barry on HBO, which keeps getting recommended to me. Mm, I've started it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Okay, I need to do the same. Is in its final few episodes, and the female protagonist, Sally, is worth taking a look at because she plays an aspiring actress who ultimately ends up being an accomplice to Barry, 
her boyfriend and wanted assassin. And she weaves in and out of compartmentalization. Lastly, Hulu's character Carmen in The Bear, uh, played by Jeremy Allen White, is another great find. Season two is in the works and his character is yet to develop as he comes upon a stash of money. His drug-addled brother who died left for him in cans of tomato sauce. Yes, the bear, the bear could be a good one. Yeah, might be one to dig into. All the best from Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. And this is from Anna Jeffries. She says, hey, I'm loving the podcast. I was listening today and thinking about people on TV that I would love you to talk about. And Motherland came to mind. Fantastic series. She says, as a mother of a five-year-old who's just suddenly been plunged into the world of kids' parties and drop-off hellos, any insight into the way these people's minds work would be enlightening. But the two characters that came to mind were Julia and Amanda. Uh, thanks, Anna. Yeah, Motherland's a great, great series. Not one I think we've discussed even off air. Sash, have you seen it? I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, it's really good. Okay. Yeah, you definitely know. Give it a go. So, guys, yes, thank you as ever. And uh, keep your support coming. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or any of the others, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, wherever you prefer to get your new episodes and, and, and tell your mates. So we can keep going, keep making more. And if you want to listen to us without the ads, subscribe to Extra Takes. You know the deal. The subscription is going to get you the episodes with no ads in them and Kermode and Mayo's The Take Show, which is one of my faves. Oh, and you also get all their exclusive extra episodes because they've got loads more that go with the main show now. Um, and they're cool as well. So you can check it out. You know, no obligation. Start a free trial. Click Try Free at the top of the Shrink the Box show page on Apple Podcasts. Or if you prefer, just Google extratakes.com. Check that out on your laptop or your desktop, however you prefer. Thank you to our production team. Production management is Lily Hambly. The assistant producer is Bashak Erton. Social media is Jonathan Imieri. The studio and mix engineer is Gully Tickle. The senior producer is Selena Reem. And exec producer is Simon Paul. And Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment production. So there. Now, Sasha, this is the bit where I normally say who's on the couch next week, but we're all on a couch next week. We, it's very exciting, isn't it? It is exciting slash terrifying, um, in my opinion, because we are going to be doing our first live oh episode in front of an audience because oh we're, we're going to be at the podcast show in London and we're going to be talking about this. I'm a solicitor and I'm calling to inform you that you have, in fact, inherited a house. This is it. It's all ours. What did that girl just say? She must be related to you. This is going to make one incredible hotel. <gasps> what will become of us? We could always try haunting. Get out, get out. Hello! <laughs> get out, get out, get out. Me again! Get out, get out. This is all happening so fast. <laughs> it's a classic haunted house. <laughs> Nothing to be scared of, is there? <sighs> hmm. Of course, that is the brilliant ghosts. So we're going to be digging into a bunch of different spirits. You might have to dig into a, a, a couple of different spirits before we go on stage. Actually, I think, <laughs> I think you're I'm quite nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I guess part of the main reason we're going to do ghosts is because even more excitingly, we, we're going to have our first ever Shrink the Box guest in the shape of Kyle Smith-Bino, who's, who's not only a good friend of mine, he's an unbelievably great comic actor and he plays Mike the husband of Alison who inherits this haunted house so we'll be trying to squeeze some analysis out of him about various ghostly ghouly goings on 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a good show. It is a it's, great show. Yeah, it's on iPlayer. It's one of the BBC's most successful comedies of the last few years, and justifiably so. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to Kyle about his character, mm-hmm. Mike, but mainly uh, what it was like recording with a bunch of dead people <laughs> yeah. who, who he has to spend the entire show not being able to see. So that must be interesting as an actor. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'd really like to look at all those needy ghosts as well, yeah. see what they see what each of them were up to. How do you get a ghost on a couch? I mean, that, that sounds like a <laughs> set up for a joke. I'll come with a punchline, hopefully on the day. It's, it's going to be tricky. Listen, listen if you've got any um, questions, you want to put forward for Kyle? I can I can read them out um, on, on our on our special podcast show in Showbiz North London. So do email us your thoughts or questions uh, to shrink the box at sonymusic.com. And as I said, you can uh, catch up on episodes of Ghosts easy on the BBC iPlayer and do so because it's great. I'm going to do so as well to get ready for next week. And Sash is off to. Uh, Waitrose to get some uh, sweet, <laughs> fruity, flavoured. <laughs> <laughs> something, something to get me on stage. Yeah. <laughs> you right. might have to help me off then. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, I'll be there. You'll be there. It's going to be great. We'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Okay, as promised, credits for Seinfeld. The creators and writers for all episodes are Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. The clip at the top is the phone message, season two, episode four, with Jason Alexander as George and Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Elaine, directed by Tom Charonis. When George is experimenting with not being himself, that's the opposite, season five, episode 22, although it's episode 21 on Netflix. Also starring Jerry Seinfeld, of course. Additional writing by Andy Cowan and directed by Tom Charonis again. The clip where George's fiance dies from licking envelopes is The Invitation, Season 7, Episode 24. Doctor is played by Victor Rader Wexler and is directed by Andy Ackerman. You've also heard tiny snippets of The Contest, Season 4, Episode 10, directed by Andy Ackerman. Uh, plus The Shoes, Season 4, Episode 16, 15 on Netflix. Also starring Gina Hecht as therapist Dana Foley, directed by Tom Charonis. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.